0: Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning morning to our podcast listeners as well. I love that song, uh, Waymaker, Miracle... was it? Miracle? Worker. Worker. I always want to say maker again. Miracle worker. I love that idea because we like that idea. That'll preach, right? Uh, I want a waymaker. I want a miracle maker. That is who you are. And we love to declare that. We love it because it's true. But the reality is we have to wrestle with the way that Resonates with us is that It's not just for us So we've been talking about this idea of being On mission Because you see we're followers that make followers of Jesus That's our slaying around here That's what we're supposed to be That is the way that we know that we're doing it And if we're followers making followers of Jesus Then we are trying to be A little image of Jesus for the world That desperately needs to know him As well so, as you start to look at that, you start going through, we've been going through the, the story of Jonah. And Jonah liked the idea of God being the miracle maker, right? And he liked that idea, the miracle worker, and all that stuff. And he loved that idea until God told him to go to the people he didn't want to go to. You know, I, I don't want to go that way. So, the story of Jonah says he ran away from God. Only to be swallowed by a giant fish. Last week's story, he repented inside the belly of a giant fish. And then as we ended last week, he vomited, he was vomited back up onto shore. Pale from the acids eating away his flesh. Stinky. I mean, even in, you know, a belly for three days, and you smell like vomit, it's kind of gross. And then he's forced to decide, what do I do? Now, when I was in seventh grade, so this is a way back, uh, probably 1988, my uh, dad wanted me to learn what it meant to make a living and all those things. And so one of our, our neighbors, Mr. Hill, called. Mr. Hill was a good old Texas country man. You know what I'm saying? And so he called my dad and he said, Hey, Mr. Barry, any one of your boys want to come down and uh, rake some leaves and pick up my acorns? That's acorns, for those who don't know. Acorns. And I, I said, well, I'll do it, Dad. And he was like, great, go down and talk to Mr. Hill. And Mr. Hill goes, how much do you want to uh, pick up all of the leaves and the acorns out of my yard? And I, I said, what it seemed like in that, my mind at that time, an astronomical figure thinking that I would have to negotiate. I go, $25, and he goes, Done. I was like, sweet, 25 bucks. I'm in seventh grade in 1988. You know what I could do with 25 bucks? Well, I started Friday. One thing I didn't tell you is uh, he had six acorn trees. (laughs) And he wanted all the acorns picked up. And Mr. Hill was pretty particular. So Friday, I I, I worked and I worked and I worked and I came home for dinner and I said, dad, I'm going to quit. It's not worth it. And my dad gave me the proverbial, berries don't quit. Saturday morning I rolled out there and I started learning things like what we call the doggy shuffle where you put the bag in here and you, you get all the leaves and you start going like this. And you smash it down. And Saturday lunch rolled around. I said, Dad, I want to quit. Marys don't quit. Saturday around evening came. Dad, I want to quit. Nope. I had finished about the backyard at that point. The front yard was twice as big as the backyard. I discovered that if you put too many acorns... In the trash bag, it rips open, and then you've got to start over again. No one gave me the idea of using a shovel, so I was doing it by hand. We didn't work on Sunday, so Monday rolled around, and I was about to go back at it, all this, for $25. And at that point, I'm realizing I'm making about $2 an hour, you know? And my dad shows up to help me, and we, we get a little more done. And I finished up, I think, Tuesday afternoon with probably about 70 to 80 bags of leaves and acorns. I remember that lesson because I remember thinking, I don't really want to do this anymore. It sounded fun from the beginning, but the job seemed, when can I quit? And we live in a world that wants what we want until we don't want it anymore. And then the, the, the normal practice is, I want to quit. I want to quit my marriage. I want, to, I want to quit following God. I want to quit. I want the easy way out. I only want it if it's beneficial for me, and we've lost this idea of what it really means to be committed. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to see. It is worth it. But the way that you know that it is worth it is when you go out and you live the mission. When you're not living on mission, that means that you haven't fully grasped what God has done for you. Is it possible that you could be missing the blessing of what God wants for your life today? And I'm not talking about a bigger car. A nicer car is a better way to say it. I'm not talking about the bigger house or the bigger paycheck. I'm talking about the blessing of how God looks down and how He immensely cares for who you are. The way that you know you're missing it is because if you aren't sharing it with other people, then you've missed what God is doing. And that's how we know we're molded for mission. But the good thing about God is He's a very forgiving and loving God. In Jonah chapter 3, we're doing Jonah chapter 3 today. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Remember, at this point, he smells like vomit. Get up! Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. God told him the second time. After he got spit it out, you know what God said? Go back and do what you're supposed to do the first time. I don't want to. I didn't ask you. Go do it. Right? Followers don't quit. And as he got up to go a second time... It said he went, and we could sit there and celebrate. He went, Jonah went, he learned the lesson, or did he? Is it possible that you could have been uh, proverbially or um, metaphorically spit out, right? And so you're here today because you feel like you're supposed to be here today, but you're still missing out what God wants to do for your life. Where was his heart? Jonah 3C through 4. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now, at this point, by the letter of the law, Jonah has obeyed the word of the Lord. Go to Nineveh and preach. It said he preached. Right? Did it. But where was his heart? Well, a few things. We, we start realizing that this is the minimal effort that Jonah can give. Do you ever give the minimal effort? And the minimal effort, not that you think you're giving the minimal but the minimal effort and you think to somehow please God. Maybe your minimal effort is, you know, our saying right here is followers make followers of Jesus, and we have some signs up there that, that talk about followers follow Jesus. Followers serve God and others. Followers give sacrificially and followers share what they. Okay, so if I can say that I'm doing that, right? I'm, so followers follow Jesus. I went to church. Woohoo! Did it. Uh, followers give sacrificially. I put some money in the offering plate. Followers serve God and others. I rocked a baby. Testify. I did it. Is it possible that you could do all those things and still not be following God like you should? Jonah preached a very, very short message. And the main idea that you need to understand from this is just because you're obeying God in action does not mean you're actually obeying God to completion. Because God cares about your heart. Just because you're obeying God in action does not mean you're actually obeying God to completion. He went to Nineveh. Jonah went to Nineveh, and he preached to the people. In Hebrew, it was a five-word sermon. English, it was longer. Hebrew was five words. Now, the saying in seminary is, the congregation will never complain about a bad short sermon. Right? And all God's people said, yep, that's right. Uh, uh, but five words. He preached a five-word sermon. And when he went out, he went out and he said he preached the first day. But how long did it take him to go around Nineveh if he was going? Three days. So he preached one day a five-word sermon. Hello! Is that, is that registering? What's the minimal effort I can do to, plea, to appease God? So what can we learn about the five things... About a five-word sermon. Jonah was only doing the minimal effort he could. It's a place when the offering bucket passes and you're now a person who calls this place your home and you sit there and you go, God, what is the minimal I can give today? To not feel guilty. Or when we need people to host booths for Trunk or Treat or what do we call it, the Candy Crawl now? It's changed names a couple times. The Candy Crawl. And you sit there and you go, well... That's a lot of kids, and I don't really like kids, so I'm just going to donate two bags of candy. I wonder if the dum-dums, because they're the cheapest, will that count? No, they want the Snickers people. That's what they want. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) That's why I love that. Jonah was only doing the minimum requirement. Are you ever guilty of that? Jonah feared God. So why did he preach? He feared God and likely didn't want to go back to the belly of another fish. Sometimes you show up to church because you fear God, not because you actually want to encounter God. Sometimes you do what you, because you know, you've learned in your life, God's going to get your attention because the way that you're living has led to a struggle. And so you're sitting there going, I I don't want to struggle anymore. So how can I somehow fool God into giving him the best that I can? It's like when your wife's mad and you secretly wash the dishes saying, see, all things are better. Right? what else can we learn about the sermon the sermon doesn't mention God it doesn't look, look what it says in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished <laughs> what a great sermon in 40 days that would be like me going in 40 days you all are going to die thank you go to lunch you're like, wow, that's depressing. And when you have a sermon, by the way, that, that doesn't talk about God or use the scripture or mention the cross, it just is just like a little file this back under the, the, the Rolodex of your mind memory bank if you're listening to TV preachers and that kind of thing. If they don't use scriptures and talk about God and the cross, don't go back. Jonah yet preached a sermon where he didn't mention God. What else did the sermon not mention? The sermon does not mention repentance or salvation. Preaching 101, when you preach a message, you're supposed to give people something to do with the message. Right? So right here we have something called the Monday morning application, which spoiler right, is not supposed to be just for Monday. It's actually something you're supposed to practice just the rest of the week. We call it Monday morning application because it takes place outside of Sunday morning. And so hopefully you remember it. So we could call it the rest of the week application, but that's a lot wordier and a lot more difficult to say. So we call it the Monday morning application. And, and just a little heads up, we give you one of those every week, but it may not be in the same spot today. So don't sit there and go, we well, forgot the Monday morning application. Jonah's message did not only not give a Monday morning application, it didn't give any application. No idea of repentance. You're all going to die! <laughs> Which I think in Jonah's mind was going, God, you're all going to die. You're going to get what you deserve. Or the idea of turning around or a, nothing. And finally, the sermon does not offer any hope. Can you imagine coming week after week and hearing a message that doesn't offer any hope? but we should have hope why? because we worship the waymaker. Right? The guy who does the miracles. That is who he is. And as we understand how God does miracles in our heart and in our life, it be, it should change the way that we view the world. But so often what we do is we view the world as God is here for me when I need Him. When I'm at the end of my rope, when I'm at the end of my marriage, when I'm at the end of my life, when I'm at the end of my line, when I'm at the end in the bottom of my pit, that's when I need God and that's when I cry out to God and we go, God, hear me. And guess what? He does. And because we Feel the presence of God. Sometimes we allow that to twist and turn into making it think that God is somehow just for us, and we make him into a narcissistic, we make ourselves into narcissistic, self serving people, and we miss the heart of God. Daniel, you know, this is very depressing. I know, but I'm going to come back with hope. Remember, I talked to you about that. We're going to end up there. But I want you to see something real quick. Faithfulness, in its purest form, has to reflect the heart of God. God cares more about your heart than your actions, God cares more about your heart than what you're saying you're doing. And I think it's just scare us that we can walk into church having just had a huge argument with the people in our car, whoever that may be. So we're like, I don't know, were you in my car today? No, it happens every week. And we walk in here and we go, God is so good. And we put on our smiles and we talk about the glory and the wonder of Jesus. And we walk out unchanged. We walk out with a cold heart that wants what we want and we want God and we somehow feel like by showing up, we've done God a service. Thank you, God. Look what I did for you. I showed up to church. Hallelujah. And God's saying, you showed up to church but you're missing church. You know what I'm saying? Because church is not a time that we meet in the week. It's when God's people Fall madly in love with the Savior of the world and let Him change us. But here's the cool part: even when you're struggling, God can still use an unrepented heart to draw His people to Him. He can. How can He do that? Well, he's God. And so God can take an unfaithful person who stands up and says, I want you to follow me instead of saying, follow God. And then when they fall on their face, people can go, not going to do that. I'm going to turn to God. Or God could take a faithful person who is following God and showing people the love and the power of God, what God is doing in their life, and people go, I need that. And then they follow God. God can take your mess and point people to him, and he can take your faithfulness and point people to him. That is who our God is. Isn't that pretty cool? Now, if God can do that, then that what beckons to you is to ask, do you want to be the person that is following God and use your good example to help other people find God? Or do you want to be the person who isn't following God and leading people to follow God that way? I don't know about you, but I choose option A. I want through my faithful obedience people to go, wow, look how good God is in Daniel's life. I need a little bit of God like that. I don't want to be the person who's sitting there going, wow, I don't want to be like the person who God thinks is in Daniel's life, so I'm going to turn and try to find the real God. You know what I'm saying? And so in this life, your kids are going to see, your people in your life are going to see, your faithfulness will point to God whether it's good or bad. Because God is good. And God has a way to make blessings out of our mess. But hear me the benefit we get from following God is worth it. Why did the people repent? Is it not possible, one suggestion, is that the people have heard of Jonah, what he'd done for Israel about their borders, and they knew who he was. Think about it, if you were here two weeks ago, I talked about how Jonah had gone and preached to the people And said, God was going to expand our borders, and God expanded our borders. And the people would have probably heard that Jonah had gone to the king and said, Our borders are expanding. That probably would have gone to the Ninevites, and then Jonah's coming saying, Here's the prophet who preached that our people would fall. Well, who is he? Well he's a guy who worships God. Oh my goodness, he worships God. Oh, who is God? We need And so then they repented. Ironical scene approaching. God's messenger was unrepentant. The people who were not following God were. Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. Then the people in Nineveh believed God. From what? A five-word sermon that didn't include hope, salvation, repentance, or the word God. The people of Nineveh believed God. That's how good our God is. And they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when the word reached the, the king of Nineveh, He got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By the order of the king of his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways." And from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, I love this because here's the people of not God repenting to God from the messenger of God who is not following God. Did you get it? Don't tell me the Bible's not funny. That's hilarious. And the reality is when they were saying, okay, everybody needs to put on sackcloth. Everybody needs to to repent from their evil ways. It's the acknowledgement that if I do things my way, it leads to disaster. But when I turn and say, I'm going to be a follower of God. I'm going to be a person of faith. I'm going to pursue the things of God. Then God's blessing, it's not prosperity gospel stuff. God's blessing of the relationship we have with Him as He guides us and directs us, as He leads us in the paths that are good, as David says, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil kind of good. You know what I'm saying? The peace, the love, the gentleness, the kindness, the patience that comes from the fruit of the Holy Spirit as we nurture it and we allow it to grow in our life. As whatever comes our way, we have the presence of God with us. That is what I'm talking about when we talk about the blessing of God. When God's blessing falls on you, you have the presence of God with you. When you understand that, it changes you. And the king was sitting there going, we're not doing that. So repent. Humble yourself. Make yourself, put yourself in a position to be needy. For the presence of God. How needy. Well, they didn't feed the animals. They didn't feed the animals. Why? Because I don't, first glance, I'm sitting there going, why didn't they feed the animals? Uh, do they, they must not know that animals are not made in the image of God. And so they think that the animals have souls, like humans and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into that debate right now, but that's not actually what's going on here. See, I am a dumb city boy. I grew up in a small little town called Dallas. Okay. Texas. Y'all get that that's not small, right? <laughs> so the idea of animals were like, we didn't have them. But when you don't feed animals, apparently what happens after a couple of days, uh, this last service I just said this perfectly, when you don't feed animals and then a baby immediately started crying, I was like, exactly right. You know what happens when cows are used to being fed every day and then they aren't fed? They start going, uh-uh-uh. I've just been told that, and reading my research, I've not actually experienced that. But they start going, Aah! which is like their way of saying, "Hey, feed me! If you want to eat me, you gotta feed me." Beef. What's so for dinner? And so the animals were crying. Out and moaning. Now, why would the king have the people do that? Because he wanted them to be reminded, all of the people, that as the animals groan for the hunger that's in their belly, so as we are hungering for the presence of the Lord, because we haven't eaten in three days, we are all dependent on God who made this universe to give us what we need. So as we hear the hunger cries of our animals, so we are to cry out for the Lord to be our provider, our sustainer, our healer, our hope, our way maker, our miracle maker. Do you get it? Now here's the cool thing. The lost people got it, but the believer didn't. And so I want to ask you today, is it possible that you show up here week after week and you're missing what God's really saying? Is it possible that you are trying to find the presence of God, but you're frustrated because you're you're encountering something that just isn't resonating well? You need to repent. repent. Repentance doesn't begin first with action. It begins with the heart, because the heart matters even more than our head knowledge in regards to our relationship with God. How do I know that? When the thief was on the cross, dying next to Jesus, as he was dying there, he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life, right? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You get it. You know what Jesus didn't say to the thief on the cross? Hey, do you believe I was born of a virgin? I was. Mary. Her name is Mary. And, and do you know the, 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 what Romans 3.23 says and Romans 6.23 says and Romans 10? You may not know that. It's called the Romans Road. Let me pull out this track. Can you, can you get it out of my pocket? That's not to make fun of what Jesus was doing on the cross there. That's, that's the reality that Jesus didn't have—all it took was faith, and it took faith of the heart, and the heart leads to the wanting to know more of Jesus. So the head knowledge comes in the pursuit of wanting to know our Savior. Just like after I got married, I wanted to know more about my wife. When I started dating my wife, I was like, how can I find out everything I want to know? I want to know more about her, and then I wanted to go around and tell everybody about her, and then I wanted to live in a life where everyone knew that we were together, and this is what it means to be in a relationship with God. When you start seeing, this person loves me, despite me, and cares for me, and wants to make a difference for me, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there going, they love me! And that's the beauty of it. And we will all one day face the judgment of God. Yet, even though we will all one day face the judgment of God because we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, God, in His mercy, despite our unfaithfulness, will allow everyone that believes to repent and know Him. Do you need to repent? If I'm trying to fool an unfoolable God. God would rather you have to be an Assyrian than Jonah. Because the Assyrians repented. Jonah did not come back next week. So where does that lead us? God saw their actions. They had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with. And he did not do it. I want you to see the mercy of God, and I want you to see it through other people. Because sometimes when we see God change other people's lives, what we're really doing is He's changing ours. And as we talked all along, when you're molded for mission, when you go out on mission, the way that you have the heart for mission can't be just the action, but it's the changing of your heart. And so I want you to realize that other people are not our true enemy, and I want to leave us with this reality. Ephesians 6.12 our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Our enemy is not other people. Spiritual warfare is real. It's going to be like, what does that mean? That means there is a very real evil in this world that wants to take you from the presence of God. And cause you to spend an eternity separated from him. But God looked down and he said, I love you. And he gives you the chance to follow and chase after him. But here's what I know. When Jesus gathered with the disciples in the upper room, right as he was about to go away, these were the guys who knew everything about it, right? And they were the, hey, we're the followers of Jesus. Woo! You know, all that stuff. And he said, Peter, before the night is over and the rooster crows, you're going to betray me three times. And so you can come in this room and you go, I get it now. I'm going to follow Jesus. And in the parking lot, have the biggest fight you've had in your marriage since whenever. And you'll be like, was that all fake? No. But yet God is good. And it's not dependent on your actions. It's dependent on your heart. And every time we fall down, we are to repent. It doesn't mean we run full forward into sin and go, well, I'm a sinner. But we understand what Jesus did through us on the cross. So that's why when Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room, he took the bread and he took the cup. And he wanted us to remind her that it's a journey and that it's repentance and it's coming before him day after day after day, asking God to show us how he loves us. So if you have a relationship with Jesus today, we're gonna to participate in the, the Lord's Supper or Communion. We're going to pass this cup and we're going to hold on to it. And it's going to remind us that His body was broken for us and that His blood was shed for us on the cross. And, and through this story, we are reminded to turn to Him. So today, even though this won't fill you up, it will. I want you to, to take this as a reminder to hunger for the presence of God in your life. To let Him fill you. To repent realize you can't do it on your own, to receive the mercy and the freedom, the joy of chasing him. Deacons, would you come forward? God, I thank you for this time. Would you move and breathe through us now? Show us what it means to follow you, to chase after you. We thank you for what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen.